said we're going to be reading both from Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3. So please turn to Matthew chapter 1, we're reading verses 1 through 17. And please standing for the read of God's holy word. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz, and by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, and Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abuid, and Abuid the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eluid, and Eluid the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Turn with me now over to to Luke, the third chapter, starting in the 23rd verse. Genealogies are fun, right? My daughter thought she was good at tongue twisters. (laughs) From 23 through 37, Luke chapter 3. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Elsli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Matthias, the son of Saman, the son of Josech, the son of Jodah, the son of Jonan, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosum, the son of Almadam, the son of Er, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Elikim, the son of Meli, the son of Mena, the son of Metatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphsad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahilil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. It's reading the word. You may be seated. So genealogies could be fun. Who here could go past their great-grandparents if you were to make a family tree? Very few. I know one person that could, only because she looked it up on Ancestry.com. That's my wife. She actually has a very interesting lineage. If you trace it back... Uh, the, the most prominent person in, in her uh, family tree would be a person known as Charlemagne. You may have heard of that person. Also known as Charles the Hammer. The big big guy in the Roman Empire way, way back when. 
But the reason we, we go into this and the reason the, 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 um, the disciples here that are writing these scriptures, both Matthew and Luke, are going into all, all these genealogies is there was a very specific promises that God had given that the Messiah must fulfill. And part of those is who he would be a descendant of. So we're going to talk about those today. And I know oftentimes it can, can be hard to make interesting genealogies, but I think you'll find the one of Jesus Christ very interesting. Mine, not so much. Maybe yours, not so much. But the genealogy of Jesus Christ is very interesting. So I'd remind us uh, two weeks ago when we were um, in the Gospel of Luke looking at the birth of John the Baptist. We, we know his father, Zechariah. He's, he will forever be known as the man who doubted Gabriel. He was in the temple. He was silenced for nine and a half months. I would remind you that before that happens, he is called righteous before God. You know, Let's not give him a completely bad rap. But after his son is born, what does he do? He starts to prophesy about what kind of man his son would be, and I'll close um, being the forerunner, who he is preparing the way for. And he brings um, remembrance to us of two very specific people and promises that God has. So um, if we go to that slide uh, from Luke chapter 1, I'll be reading it from verses 67 to 73. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Remember David. David is very important in the promise of the Messiah. And as he spoke by mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. So keep these two, David and Abraham, in mind as, as we look at the genealogies here. So let's first start with, with David. That's what Zechariah is first. Why is David important? What was David's occupation? He was the king. And while he wasn't the first king, he is the king by which all other kings in the nation of Israel would forever be judged by. As good as Solomon was, and Solomon had a reign of peace his entire life, he never had to go to war. Solomon was a very wise king, but he was not his father. He was not King David. And so with, with David, we, we have a few th things that are important to know. It is said that David was a man after God's own heart. To all the men here, I hope you, that can be said of you. And to the ladies, I hope likewise that you're a woman after God's own heart. David was not perfect. He sinned and he had some pretty egregious sins, which is adultery and murder. But it shows us that, that if you are repentant and you have faith in Christ, that God is willing to forgive as, as we see with David. He was a man towards the end of his life that he, he was torn to pieces. Why? Because he had this lavish house, this palace. But where was God's house? It was literally a tent sitting outside in the desert. And that's where people would go and worship. Believe it or not, the, the church that we now sit in is far superior to the, the tent of the tabernacle that, the, that where, where God's presence dwelt, where people would go and worship in those days in the Old Testament. And so this bothered David, rightly so. It should, should, should bother us if we, if we were to see our, our building falling to tathers, but we go home and we live in these palaces... It should, it should rightly bother us. And it bothered David. And David longed to build a great name, majestic palace for his God. But his God, our God, said, no, it won't be you. Why? Because he had much blood on his hands. He was a warrior king. He was not like, like today, most countries do not have warrior leaders. Uh, our president has not, to the best of my knowledge, not seen action, not had to, to pull the trigger, hold up a sword, and take someone's life. 
It was not the case with David. He knew what it was to, to ask men to go to war. He would lead in battle. He would be on the, the front lines with them. But God said, there is too much blood on your hands. It will not be built by you. But I will give peace to your son Solomon. And he will build. And, and it has become known as Solomon's temple. And it is a beautiful and majestic temple. And of course, later on, it is torn down and re- rebuilt. But, but the po- point is, is that this is David. David is the one who had that heart for God. And he is given a promise by God. What is that promise? We call it a covenant in the biblical language. What is the Davidic covenant as it's known? It is a promise to David by God that one day one of his descendants will inherit his kingdom. And that kingdom will never, ever end. That's a pretty good promise, don't you think? And David even clues us in a little bit more. And he said that that this man that, that will come from David eventually will ascend to the right hand of the Father. And, and David and Jesus points this out. David said, The Lord, the Father, God, said to my Lord, the Son, Jesus Christ, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your what? Your footstool. And so David is getting, giving a promise. Not only will he have a descendant who will take over this kingdom of his and make it last for all eternity, but this descendant himself will be God. What a promise that is. And so, when people are looking for heirs to the throne in Israel during Jesus' day, they were looking for someone who had the family lineage who was an heir to David. At, um, at one point in time, the kingdom was divided between Israel and Judah. But always where Jerusalem was, they had one requisite to be king. You must come from the family lineage of David. And that is why in Matthew, we have Joseph pointing to the fact that not just Mary, but also Joseph had a right to be king. This is why when, when the, um, the, he has to go um, and register for the census, he has to go to Bethlehem. Why? Because Bethlehem is the city of David. He has to go and register where his ancestor ruled. And so we, we see that over and over again. For 33 years, David lived his life in Bethlehem before moving to Jerusalem for the final seven years of his kingdom. And so we, we see part of this promise that, it, that is given. That the, the one that is coming will be God himself. And so what a great promise that is given to David. And so the, the gospel writers here are reminding us of Jesus' uh, earthly lineage. That, that he indeed comes from David. But... David, while important, is not the top dog of the, the Old Testament uh, men of God. Who do you think that would be? It's one that is called a friend of God. He's told to get up and, and leave and go to a land of flowing with milk and honey. His name is Abraham. Absolutely. The, the Abrahamic covenant. And that is, that is why in Matthew you see that he is a son of David, a son of Abraham. These both were, were part of, of the prophecy that that they must fulfill to, to, be, to be a possible fit for the Messiah. So why is Abraham so important? Besides being called a friend of God, I hope we're all a friend of God. That's something we all should long for and desire to be. But he is given a promise, that, that covenant that we speak of. It says that God will bless all the nations through Abraham. And not just through Abraham, but through Abraham's descendant. Abraham is given a specific promise. Abraham will have the Messiah come from his descendants. 
That a day will come even though as Abraham is approaching 100 years old in life and has no children, he is told that his descendants will be so numerous like the stars in the sky or the sands of the sea. Can you imagine? What a promise. That might be hard to believe. But Abraham believed it. And Jesus reminds us he's, he's having this interchange with these, these uh, Jewish men in, in the, uh, the Gospel of John, I believe it's chapter 8, where, where they're saying, we have never been anyone's slaves. Then why do you tell us that we need to be set free? And well, what does Jesus do here? He has this interchange with him, and, and, he, sa- and he tells them that, that they, they are indeed slaves. That just because they are Abraham's physical descendants does not mean that they are free. He is not talking about slaves as we we do in the earthly way when we think of the Civil War and things of that. He is talking about being a slave to sin. And Jesus offers them to set them free. And he, He does something that gets them enraged a bit. He says, Before Abraham, I am. What is Jesus doing there? He's telling them, I am God. Before Abraham, I am the one that sent Moses to Egypt to set you free, for you were once slaves. He's reminding them of their heritage and reminding them of who he is. And he he goes on and he says, Abraham saw the day and was glad. It was revealed to Abraham that one of his descendants would be the Messiah, would be the Son of God. And so we have Matthew reminding us of those Old Testament prophets that, that, that the promises that were given to them, that they would be fulfilled in this man that is about to be born, the one known as Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to have a turn to John chapter 1 real quickly. Because one of the promises that, that was given to, to Abraham was that it would be for his descendants. And, and that was later given, that same promise was reaffirmed to Isaac and then reaffirmed to Jacob. And Jacob has this dream with a ladder. Anybody remember that dream? Jacob has this dream where he sees the Son of Man going up and down and the angels ascending and descending. And so the reason we're going to turn to John is is one of the very first things Jesus does when he calls one of his disciples. He reminds him of Jacob's dream. From John 1, starting in verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You see, Jesus Christ is the latter. He is the one that... that is the only way for us to get to heaven. I shared with our prayer group this morning two, two very urgent needs of prayer. And we, we had the Pope this week talk about how we need to change the Lord's Prayer. First of all, that's blasphemy to change the Word of God, especially the words of Christ. But he also said that when, when it reads that Mary was full of grace, that it means she was without sin. What has he done? He has, he has denied Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation. He has made Mary into a God. But Jesus is the latter, not Mary. Jesus is the only way to salvation. We need to pray for the Pope so that he may be born again. He is not our enemy. He, he is a lost soul that needs to be prayed for. 
But as we go on, you may say, okay, that's great. That, that has a lot of meaning for the Jewish people, Abraham and David. I am not a descendant of Abraham and David physically that I am aware of. And there may be very few in here there, that, that there is. There may be some. Well, you know, you would have to do your own ancestry search. I know some of us have a Jewish lineage, so it is possible. But you say, why, why should I care? Why would the people of, of that day care? Matthew's audience is obviously Jewish people. That's why he stops at Abraham. There is no need for him to go farther, any farther back. But Luke goes farther back and he points out to ultimately the one we all come from. Being the son of Adam, the son of God. We have family lineage with Jesus whether we realize it or not. The reason he points out Adam is because Luke writes to the Gentiles, the people who don't know about the background in the Old Testament. Imagine if, if you, somebody gave you a Bible and just had the New Testament in it. There are plenty of those Bibles that, that go around. You'd be missing so much, but in it is more than enough to, to receive salvation. And, and Luke is reminding us here that through Adam, all men have become sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. A Adam fell. He, he fell from that, that, that lofty estate that he had as the Son of God living in the garden with his wife, being blessed beyond measure, and then, of course, we know the story. The serpent deceives Eve. Eve gives to Adam. And Adam is standing there allowing it all to happen. And he partakes. I've told you many times when that story goes on, I don't blame Eve. I blame Adam. He stood there and watched it happen. It doesn't say Eve had to go find Adam on the other side of the garden. He's right there. He, he used her as a guinea pig. But because of that, we have all fallen short. We are all sinners. Amen? And so when we look at this, Luke is reminding us that whether you have a Jewish lineage and, and Abraham and David, they mean a lot to you, that, that promise of, of who exactly Jesus was going to be. Or if you're a Gentile like you and I, that you know very little of the Old Testament and what King David meant to those people and what Abraham still means to those people, you will realize that we all are in need of a Savior. We all are in need of Jesus Christ. So before I I'll have our sound team change to the, the slide, I, I want you to think about all the Old Testament prophecies. What would the odds be that, that one person could perform then? I want you to think about there's some that Jesus would have no control over, physically speaking. Being born in Bethlehem. You don't choose where you're born. You don't choose who your parents are. Many, many of those type of things. You don't choose what area you're born in. If Jesus was born today and not 2,000 years ago, many of the things that were prophesied about he would not be able to fulfill. God had perfect timing. Amen. So what, what do you think? Throw a number out. Is it one in a million? One in a billion? Try one in ten quintillion. I'm going to put a slide up there just so you can see the number of zeros. That's a lot of zeros. That, that is, that is the, the odds makers, what, it, what the odds are for one person to do this. This is beyond comprehension. This is a work of God. That Jesus is coming to do all that, that has been prophesied that, that he would do. Ultimately, what is Jesus' purpose on this, this earth? It is to die. It is to die for your sins. Yes, he came and he did miracles. But those miracles were done to show the people that he is the Messiah. Jesus had one singular purpose. To save you. And that was done through the death and resurrection on the cross. No one else can offer that to you. I can't offer that to you. 
Mary can't offer that to you. Your favorite TV evangelist can't offer that to you. Angels can't offer that to you. Be careful who you put your faith in. Remember once, some of the people we now call demons were once angels. Christ and Christ alone is the one who will never let you down, never fail you. You As as we get ready to to look at the final things and close, I want us to to see the the promises here and how this applies to us. What does it mean that, that God is reminding us in scriptures of his promise to Abraham and David? He's reminding us that he is faithful. God has made us many promises. And when we woke up this morning, he had the verse of the day. And verse of the day, sometimes you look at him like, I hope that one's for someone else. Because <laughs> it's talking about going through the fire and that he, God will be with you. Going through the flood, he will be with you. During the storm, he will be with you. Amen, that is true. I pray I'm not going through the fire today though. But the promise is that God will be with you. So if you get anything out of these verses, remember that God will always fulfill what he has spoken. When we talk about it, and, and I know and it, it makes, I try not to question whether people are saved or not, but, but when people tell me they doubt that Jesus Christ is ever coming back, it makes me really question their salvation. Why? Because it is a promise by God that Christ is coming again. Do you believe it? If you, when we read these scriptures, Matthew and Luke are reminding us of the promises given to Abraham that all the nations of the earth will be called blessed, and they will. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Because He has offered salvation. Let me ask you, has David, the promise to David been fulfilled? He has promised that he would have an heir that would be king of Israel forever. Has Jesus been king of Israel? Not yet. Where is he right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool. It's no small thing that the President of the United States declared what he did this week. He said, Jerusalem is Israel's capital. Understand, we, we like America, like John the Baptist, we will become less. They will become greater. Why? Because Jesus Christ is going to come one day, one day very soon, and He's going to proclaim that He is the King of the Jews. He is the King of the world, and His kingdom will be from sea to shining sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. And that is a promise given to all Christians that a day is coming, whether it be we are raptured into His presence or go home in glory, a day is coming where we will be with Him in heaven. And then we will really be able to put on the armor of God and we will return with Him. And His kingdom will be set up. And it speaks of His kingdom being for a thousand years. That is His kingdom on earth for what has been promised to the Old Testament saints, what is due to Abraham. Abraham has never seen his descendants inherit the land as it was promised to him. They have a land that is about the size of Rhode Island. If you look at a map, what does God tell Abraham? You will have from the river in Egypt to the river Euphrates. It's like four times the size of Texas. They have yet to possess that land. They will under King Jesus. And we will praise God for that. And as we we discussed in Revelation, we will be given a a place in that kingdom. And we will be co-heirs with Christ. And that, that should make us rejoice above all things. But ultimately, the great promise is that we have a Savior. And His name is Jesus Christ. And that... All the promises that God has spoken in His Holy Word, all that He has spoken to you, will come to pass in God's timing. People would have, would have thought it foolish. They were all excited about John the Baptist being born. They were going out through all the earth 
Saying, what sort of child will this be? While over in Bethlehem, outside of a few shepherds, nobody notices the fact that the King of all kings has been born. John is important, yes, and amen. John's the type of preacher all men love. He's just hellfire, brimstone, tell it to you straight, even if it means death. But there's not salvation in John. Salvation is in Jesus. I pray you remember that today. And as that, that time comes in just a few moments, we're, we're going to be playing that music and having that altar call. As I discussed with the men in Sunday school, I'll never tell you words to say during the altar call because it's between you and God. It is a personal thing. You need to have that repentance of your heart and make Jesus the Lord of your life. That, that, that is for, for you to do during that time. But I would have you now, as we prepare and get ready to sing, think of these questions. When I say the name of Jesus, what comes to mind? I, salvation? I could see some just to just glow with a smile because He is their Lord. I see some, some looking with questions like, I don't know. I know many people, when I say the name of Jesus, it's like nails on a chalkboard. They hate that name. Satan hates that name. They will still bow. But you can bow today willingly and receive salvation. When Satan bows, there's no offer of salvation for him. There's no offer of salvation for those who reject Christ their entire lives. Some have indifference. You've heard the name Jesus so much in your life. You grew up in church and you heard it. You heard it over and over. The preacher talked about it every Sunday. Amen, as they should. There's nothing worth preaching that's not about Jesus. But you've got to make Jesus real for you. You have to have that relationship with Him. We read in Sunday school from, from Matthew where, where Jesus is speaking to us and He says, there will be many that come. And say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? I have never cast out a demon. I won't be able to make that exact statement. What did Jesus say to them? Get away from me. I never knew you. Does Jesus know you? We talk about what it means to make Jesus the Lord of your life. If Jesus is the Lord, that means you are the slave. That means Jesus knows his slaves, his servants. Not a slave as the world thinks of slaves, but... But Matthew and the others were willing to become slaves for Jesus Christ because he was humble. He was the servant of all servants. But he's also the king of all kings. What will you do with Jesus? Will you make him Lord? Or are you going to try to subjugate him and make you the master? Because at the end of the world, there will only be one master, one God and king, one Lord over everything. And his name is Jesus. Let us pray. Our Father, Lord Jesus, I give you thanks for this day. I give you thanks for all my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the great honor it is to preach your word, to worship your holy name. I pray, God, you be with us now and watch over us. Bless us, Lord. If there's anyone here who does not know you, may your Holy Spirit convict them in their hearts, Lord, to come down and repent of their sins, to receive you as Lord and Savior. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.